Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. This podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday normal rhythms of life. And this segment of the podcast we call Theology for Everyone. We are trying to break down um, sometimes some difficult concepts, uh, some biblical concepts and biblical doctrine. And we're trying to break that down so anybody can um, understand it. To do that, we're working our way slowly through the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we are nearing the end. Um, We're completing the Westminster Confession of Faith really soon here. We are on chapter 29. For the past few weeks, we've been talking about um, the sacraments. We drilled down a little deeper into baptism last week, and now we're going to drill down pretty deep (laughs) into the Lord's Supper. So, uh, gentlemen on the podcast with me, could you uh, say, say who you are? How's it going, guys? Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. And this is Rob Spicer, Pastor of Discipleship. All right, so it's just us today, and we've got some long articles, okay? There are, uh, what is this, eight? There are eight articles in this, or eight segments in this chapter, and so um, we, we'll see how far we get. Maybe we'll get the first four done. Uh, and try to move on from there. So, Rob, would you read for us today? Yes, I will. Our Lord Jesus, in the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, called the Lord's Supper, to be observed in his church unto the end of the world for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. The sealing all benefits thereof unto true believers, their spiritual nourishment and growth in him, their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him, and to be a bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. Woo, I guarantee you what, there was a lot of debate on this one. So when it comes to the Westminster Confession of Faith, you got to know a few things that are going on. Much of what is being written is being written in opposition to the Roman Catholic Church. Not only did... um, the Westminster divines differ with those in Rome. They also differed amongst other reformers, specifically the Lutherans. And you're going to see that as we get further into this, um, this, this article or this, this, this chapter, because the reformers agreed on a lot of things with Martin Luther, but they differed on, on some significant things. They differed on the way that the church should relate to the state. And they differed specifically on the meaning of what was going on in the Lord's Supper. And so let's go phrase by phrase. This is really good stuff. If you ever asked yourself, um, what actually happens in the Lord's Supper? Yeah. Why do we do it every single week? Or yeah. does, any, does anything actually really, you know, is it a benefit to us in, in any way? Mm-hmm. Or is it just a picture of something or a reminder of something? We're going to get to all that right here. So first off, you can say, why do we do the Lord's Supper? Because our Lord Jesus, on the night wherein he was betrayed, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood called the Lord's Supper to be observed in his church unto the end of the world. All right? So Jesus gave us the two sacraments. He told us to to go make disciples and baptize, and he told us to to partake of and, 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 and practice the Lord's Supper. On the night that he's betrayed, this was the Passover Supper. He was jealous to celebrate the Passover one more time before he was going into his passion and his death. And he switched some things up, just like he switched up the sacrament of, of um, um, circumcision, circumcision, there it is, mm-hmm. circumcision with um, 
baptism. Now he's switching up the Passover and he says, no longer does this, uh, does the, the blood represent the blood of the lamb that was put over the lent, the, the doorpost yeah. or the bread isn't, the bread doesn't represent you fleeing quickly out of the, 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 the grips of Pharaoh, you know, this unleavened bread. Now the body is my, is my, was, is my body and the blood is my blood and it's the cup of the new covenant. Yeah. Okay. So we're to do this forever in the church until Jesus comes back until the end of the world. Now, what is it for? He's got several points here. One, for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself and his death. So um, scripture tells us we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns when we partake of the Lord's Supper. So it is a remembrance, okay? So that means part of one thing that the supper does is it points back to what Christ has done on the cross, okay? Now this is where we get into um, some differences. There were some people that were called the spiritualists and there's a lot of them today in today and age that believed that Christ, the sacrifice or the, the oh, my brain is just all over the place. <laughs> Hopefully I can focus, guys. I apologize for mixing my words up here. There's many people that believe that communion is nothing more than a memorial or nothing more than a remembrance. Right. That nothing happens spiritually, physically, um, mystically, nothing happens in the supper. All it is is a sign that points back, a memorial, that a remembrance that points back to Christ's death. Right. These people typically take the Lord's Supper once every quarter or something like that, and it's just, it's just not a big deal, okay? But they still partake in yeah, it. Yeah, the church that I was in, that table actually had the scripture that says, because there's a scripture that does say, in memory of me, I yeah. think is what the, the, the table actually had. And that, I grew up in that kind of a background where it's just, yeah, we just do this. We remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us. Once yes. a month, we did that. So. Yeah, because some churches, they actually do it once a month, but then, you know, they have you dress up in all white and, you know, you, it's, it's the first Sunday is when they normally yep. do yeah, it. Yeah, that was yeah. what our church was, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, now, yeah, because he said, do this in remembrance of me. Now, that is one use. That is one reason we're supposed to do it. It is to remind us every single time we do it, Body was broken, blood was shed, yep. Jesus actually died. Yeah. Okay, that's one use. But the Westminster Divines go on. The sealing all benefits thereof unto, unto true believers. So we've talked about this before, that the, the, the sacraments are a sign and a seal. So when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're being sealed. The blessings of the covenant are being sealed to us. Okay. They're being applied to us. <clears throat> what are some of those blessings? Their spiritual nourishment and growth in him. Okay, so think of it like this. Um, <clears throat> when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, we are feeding on Christ. Yeah. Jesus said, right, this is my body, this is my blood. Other places he said, I am the bread of life, right? Mm -hmm. No man that doesn't eat my flesh can't see me, right? Or can't see my father. Can't have eternal life in him. And so one of the ways, one of the, the realities of partaking of the Lord's Supper is in some way we're actually consuming Christ. We're partaking in Jesus Christ. We're bringing something in and it's actually doing something to us yeah. spiritually. So is there is there a time where like you can overdo it by taking the Lord's Supper? <clears throat> well, I think, I think, I don't think you could overdo it. 
unless yeah. you t- do it in an inappropriate way. Yeah. Right. As long as you're with the body of Christ, and we'll get into that later on. You, you're with the body of Christ. This is not something that's meant for private practice. Mm-hmm. You know, this is meant meant to be done at church. So, you're gathering every week. I think it's, I think it's appropriate. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and hey, I do it twice a week mm-hmm. <laughs> because I go to both yeah. gatherings right, each, yeah. each week. Right. <clears throat> so, it seals the benefits unto true believers. It is provides spiritual nourishment and growth in Him. Now, this is interesting. Growth in Jesus. The Westminster is saying one of the ways we mature up into maturity yep. in Christ is by taking the Lord's Supper. Right. So imagine if you wanted your child to mature before you fed them. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> not going to happen. It's not going to happen, right? <laughs> they are. They, maturity comes through feasting. Yeah. Through your body, literally takes Thank it you. in and builds your muscles and builds your brain cells and builds these different things. Westminster divines are saying the same thing, spiritually speaking, when you take the Lord's Supper. It actually builds us up in Christ. That's good. Okay? Their further engagement in and to all duties which they owe unto him. So, when we take of the Lord's Supper, it reminds us of our obligation to Christ. That we are partaking of Christ, Christ died for us, and now as we walk out these doors, we're meant, there's some duties that we're, we're meant to perform. Yep. We're meant to be certain type of people, mm-hmm. right? We're meant to be, you know, the, and we could say it like the hands and feet in Jesus. We're meant to be his body in the world. And we have an obligation to love the people to our right and to our left in our church family yep. and to serve the least of these and to live gospel-centered lives, et cetera, et cetera. And to be a bond and a pledge of their communion with him and with each other. So when we are coming to the Lord's table and we're eating, we are, it is a bond and a pledge that we are in communion with the Lord. Right. That word communion, um, what's, a, what's a synonym for communion? It is uh, an active relationship that we're communing, that there's yeah. a active participation going on between us and Jesus, that we have a vital relationship with Jesus because we've been, we are in Christ, right? And we have that same relationship going horizontally, that these are our brothers and sisters in the church, yeah. right? And, and we owe them our love, our long suffering, our burden bearing, our, all the one another's that the scripture talks about. And you think about just any kind of meal that you partake with anybody, it does create a bond you know, between somebody. So if you want to get to know somebody, you want to get to know your neighbor, you bring them over, you have them over for dinner. It's amazing what that creates a, a, a stronger bond than you used to have. And so I think the same thing is happening here is it creates a strong bond between one another as we remind ourselves, what is our commonality? Our commonality is this person of Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. And it reminds us <clears throat> that Christianity is not a solo project. Right. Like we are not just here as individuals and mm-hmm. our country is so individualistic. It's really hard to get that through our skulls. So we all come down, we get in a line, we take the Lord's Supper from some elders and we're saying, these are my people. Yeah. We're, we're a team here. We're yeah. team Jesus in the Quad Cities, mm-hmm. right? We are the body of Christ here in the Quad Cities as members of his mystical body. Now, there is a mystical, there is a mystery there. There is, it's a, there's a spiritual reality that's going on here. Right, and so 
this is where reformed guys and gals can get the labels of being all up in their head, hyper-intellectual, mm. maybe less emotional, um, and yet the Westminster Divines here are saying, no, 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 there is, there is some real communion going on here. Something spiritually is happening in the supper that it's reminding us that we're part of this mysterious, mystical body of Christ. And there is something uh, supernatural taking place mm. when we partake in the Lord's Supper mm. yeah. every time we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, what scripture do we have for that mystical body? Is it 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and often as you drink it, in remembering of me. Yeah, <clears throat> there it is. Okay, article number two. Want to go ahead and read that one, Rob? Yeah, article number two. In this sacrament, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all for remission of sins of the quick or dead, but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself, by himself, upon the cross, once for all, and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same. So that the popish sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, is is most abominably injurious to Christ's one only sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of his elect. Okay, this is where the Westminster divines start throwing haymakers at the Catholic Church. (laughs) Okay, the Catholic official doctrine of the church is that when the, um, the priest prays for and consecrates the elements that they become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, when the priest is doing this, a real sacrifice is being offered up unto the Father. Jesus is being re-offered up unto the Father every single time that a priest does it. And let me see if this is getting into this part yet. No, I think this is going to be in the next one. So I don't want to, I don't want to move on. And so they're saying that is absolutely ridiculous. That does not happen. Christ has been sacrificed once for all. And um, so in this sacrament, Christ is not offered up to his father, nor any real sacrifice made at all. So the sacrifice has already been made on the cross, the one and only sacrifice for the remission of sin and the quick of the dead, but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself. So this is a, this is a memorial. This is a reenactment um, this is a commemoration, but this is not a real sacrifice being made. This is a sacrament that points to a real sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? This is a sign and seal of a real sacrifice. Jesus made that real sacrifice. Upon the cross, once for all, and for, and for a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God for the same so that the popish sacrifice of the mass, as they call it, is most abominably injurious to Christ only one sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of his elect. The elect. So they're saying, that, I mean, this has to do with their doctrine of justification as well. So if you take the Lord's Supper 
and you are, and Jesus is being sacrificed for you in that moment and you receive it, you're forgiven of your sins. But then as soon as you turn around and you go sin again, mm -hmm. now you're no longer justified. You've mm -hmm. lost your justification. And now you need to go and you need to ask for penance for, to the priest. And then you can, they can tell you how to repent and do all the things you need to do in order to um, receive atonement once again. The reformers say that is injurious, that is abominable, that that is anti-gospel, that Jesus Christ sacrificed once and for all forgives us always, yeah. and so no real sacrifice is actually taking place in the Mass or in the, the Lord's Supper, because Jesus alone is the propitiation for all the sins of his elect. So some may say uh, with that, like, do you just repent one time and not repent for the multiple things that maybe have occurred in your life? Yeah. No. So that's a, that's a good point. No, you you repent and keep on repenting. Martin Luther, <clears throat> his I think his first article, his 95 thesis was the, the whole of the Christian life is meant to be one of repentance. Mm. But my justification is not dependent upon my repentance. So what, the, what I mean by that is God justifies me, makes me right with himself and frees me from all of my guilt and shame and sin and makes, puts me in a right relationship with himself solely on the work of Christ. And now when I sin, I'm still justified, but I've messed up my relationship with Christ, right? So now uh, there's sin between us. And so I now confess and I repent, not because I'm not justified, but because I want to continue to walk in newness of life and holiness of life and sanctification yeah. with Jesus, okay. right? So it's like, <clears throat> once it's like we're adopted into the family of God. He never boots us out but there's still discipline that needs to be done, right? Mm -hmm. So just with our kids, when they, they're in our family, when they sin, we don't kick them out, but they have to repent to stay in right fellowship with us, right? Right. So That's good. All right, <clears throat> Article 3. All right, Article 3. The Lord Jesus hath in his ordinance appointed his ministers to declare his word of institution to the people, to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine, and thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and they communicating also themselves, to give both to the communicants, but to none who are not then present in the congregation. Okay. We're getting in the practicalities of mm -hmm. it here. Sure. How are you to celebrate the Lord's Supper? <clears throat> As with all of the Christian life, you are meant to follow the scripture's example. <laughs> yeah. And so in the scriptures, the Lord Jesus has in this ordinance appointed his ministers to declare his word of institution to the people. Now, what is that in word of institution? <clears throat> On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he took the cup and he proclaimed this. That, that's the word of institution. And so almost mm -hmm. every single week at Sacred City, you hear me say that. In my prayer, you hear me say, on the night Jesus was betrayed, and that's where I start. Mm -hmm. Quoting there in 1 Corinthians and, and quoting what actually happened in, in the gospel account. <clears throat> that's declaring his word of institution to the people. To pray. So I always pray before the Lord's Supper. And bless the elements of bread and wine, Right? and thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use. So this is interesting. That pita and that wine and that Welch's grape juice, and we're going to get into this in a second, 
it doesn't change its chemical properties. It doesn't change its physical properties, but it's set apart as holy as we pray for them and offer them up yeah. to the Lord as holy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And to take the bread in the cup or break the bread and to take the cup and they communicating also themselves to give both to the communicants, but to none who are not then present in the congregation. So to give both to the communicants, what, are, uh, what scripture do we have for that? We have uh, Matthew 26, um, 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat this as my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out as many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so here we're giving, Jesus is giving the elements to to all the participants, right? Um, so some may say, like, um, um, as you take this, um, repent um, for all baptized believers, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the scripture is not saying that. So why is it that some people do say that? Yeah. Well, that's we. That's what we do. That's what we practice. Because, and I don't think we're getting into this specifically yet, but this is a, that's a great question, so let me bring it up. Remember that baptism and circumcision were the signs of entrance into the covenant community, okay? That's what got you in the front door, right? But Passover and the Lord's Supper is a covenant renewal ceremony, okay? So one gets you in to the covenant. The next one is a covenant renewal ceremony. Think of it a little bit like this. Your wedding ceremony got you married, Mm -hmm. right? But Every time that you have sexual intercourse with your wife, that's a covenant renewal ceremony with your wife. You're renewing your vows to be one, right? right? And, and even in a similar way that you, you would celebrate your anniversary, that's a, almost like a covenant, it's not an official covenant renewal, but that's almost like a covenant renewal ceremony, right? But this is an official covenant renewal ceremony. So every week we come in and we don't, re, we don't rebaptize ourselves. We're still saved, right? But we say, We've walked away from Jesus, mm-hmm. but guess what? Now we're, give, we're gonna use the means of grace that you've given us. So we're gonna hear the call to worship. We're gonna respond to that. We're gonna confess our sins. We're gonna receive the absolution. And once again, reminded that we're forgiven. We're gonna listen to your word with attentive ears and soft hearts. And we're gonna respond by faith and obedience to your word. And then we're gonna come to the Lord's table and say, Father, I believe you died for me, or Jesus, I believe you died for me once again giving me your spirit once again. This is your body. This is your blood. This is the body all around me. And now I'm going to fulfill my duty this week and I'm going to be a family of missionary servants living all of life under the Lordship of Christ. And we're renewing that commitment every single time we partake of the Lord's Supper. Okay. see the importance of why we need to be doing this on a regular basis. I mean, you know, uh, it's just an opportunity for us to continue to be reminded again of these great truths that we have here and also to be reminded again of what our really our covenant is and to, as you said, renew our covenant with God again. So we, we press on into the, to the new week. And, you know, we do this on the first day of the week, you know, to press on to that new week that God has given to us. Yeah. So they had a special uh, little line here. So it's only meant to be given to the communicants, those who are there but to none who are not then present in the congregation. Now, I'm interested to see the text they're going to have for this. 
The text is Acts 20, verse 7. So it's on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until night. That's it. That's the text they're using. Wow. Hmm. So it, it says here, he says, they were when we were gathered together to break bread on the first day of the week. And yeah. that's all we're they're referring to. So... I, this is has to deal, and we're going to get into it in the next in the next section, because of what communion s- symbolizes and bec- the, the the collective nature of of the body. It's meant to be done when we when we're gathered together. Mm. Okay, it's not some kind of, um, mm. you know, special mystical thing that's meant to be brought to other people like who are not present in the congregation. Like there's something, like this is like a radioactive piece of bread and a radioactive mm-hmm. piece of juice that I'm going to carry it to somebody somewhere else, okay? Mm-hmm. That's not how the supper is meant to be celebrated. It's meant to be celebrated as a body together with, with your Yeah, it seems family. to be the emphasis is on the gathering, a gathering of one one another coming together. Is seems to be the, the, the primary emphasis that they have here. So, so I, was, I was too curious on this. Yes, <laughs> but let, let me go into Article 4, yeah, yeah. because Article 4 puts a pin in it. Yeah. Article 4 shows us what they're <clears throat> talking about. Okay, private masses or receiving this sacrament by a priest or any other alone has likewise the denial of the cup to the people, worshiping the elements, the lifting them up or carrying them about for adoration, and the reserving them for any pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of the sacrament and to the institution of Christ. Okay. I um, once uh, met a guy at a coffee shop in the Quad Cities who was a very devout Catholic. Um, The most devout Catholic I've probably ever met he was pointedly raising his daughters to be nuns. He was the social media and internet. He, he ran, he created the website for the Pope at the time. Okay. okay. And we did some construction in his basement and we, ba- we basically built him, we built him a chapel in his basement with an altar and everything. Wow. And every single day, a local priest would bring the Lord's Supper in a special fancy golden looking container into his chapel where his family would worship together. They would take the Lord's Supper. And I don't know if they, how far they went with that, but this is getting to a point of what was happening during this time. They were Catholics because they believed that the body and the blood, the real body, and the real blood, the physical body and the physical blood of Christ. So let me back up and say this. They believe the, the bread became, upon the prayer of, and consecration of the priest and lifting it up, became the physical body of Christ. And they believe the blood became the physical blood of Christ. We'll get into it later. It's called transubstantiation. Okay? Sounds like the Vinci Code. Yeah. <laughs> So think of it now. If that really happens, then what am I holding in my hand? Right. Jesus himself. Jesus himself. Oh, my goodness. I want to take him home with me. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to put him on a shelf, and I'm going to worship him. This is Jesus. What will you do with the body of Jesus? What will you do with the blood of Jesus? That's too sacred to even eat. I'm going to take it home and set up a little shrine, a little idol, a little case at home. Mm -hmm. That's... 
the kind of thing that was happening um, at the time that this was written. And that's what they're saying. No, your doctrine is creating idolatry and it's injurious to the body of Christ. And so they come out and say private masses. So priests going, having a private church service in somebody's house or receiving the sacrament by a priest or any other alone. So you don't get to take the body of Christ alone. That doesn't even make sense. How could a finger partake of the body of Christ? You need the body to partake of the body of Christ. As likewise, the denial of the cup to the people. Oh, so that's another thing. Um, for I don't think they do it anymore, for, but for seasons in the Catholic Church, they only gave the, the body, and the priest alone drank from the cup. The priest drank the cup, and, and the people only got the body. Yep. Um, worshiping the elements, and lifting them up, or carrying them about for adoration, and reserving them for any pretended religious use are all contrary to the nature of the sacrament and to the institution of Christ. So in the Catholic Church, still they lift up the, the elements and consecrate it, and it's like and they like worship the elements. And uh, reformers were like, no, absolutely not. So you don't ever see us lifting up the elements and and adoration and consecrating them. We just do it simply, just like Jesus said, just like the Apostle Paul said. So. <clears throat> Do you guys want to keep going and just do one large, large podcast? Or you want to just break this up? I'm I'm game. Let's go. We can for keep it. going. Keep going. Yeah. All right. You heard it here, fam. Okay. We're so number forward. five. Here we go. The outward elements in the sacrament, duly set apart to the uses ordained by Christ, have such relation to Him crucified as that truly yet sacramentally only. They are sometimes called by the name of the things they represent. To wit the body and blood of Christ, albeit in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. Okay. Hmm. Here's where hermeneutics come into play. When Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, was he speaking literally? Okay. Now we believe that we get, this gets tricky. We believe the Bible is literally true but everything the Bible says is not meant to be taken literally. When Jesus said, I am the door and I am the sheep gate, <laughs> we didn't think he became a door and a sheep gate, yeah. right? Start worshiping the door. Right. <laughs> so we didn't believe that, right? Now, when I say, when I point at a picture and I say, that's my family, that is a picture of my family. Technically, that's not my family, my, but it's their image of, yeah. of, of that family. Catholics believe that when he said, this is my body, this is my blood, therefore a miracle must take place every single time we partake in the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper must physically change substances, transubstantiation, change substances from the molecules of bread to the molecules of the body, molecules of juice to the molecules of blood. And they've even supposedly, you know, they have miracles and they have different things that they've mm -hmm. that they've denoted that this has actually happened okay um, but the Westminster divines here are taking a reformed position Calvin's position and they're saying that doesn't physically happen and okay here, here here's the Lutheran position Martin Luther kind of stayed a little Catholic and he said no it doesn't completely change substances. He, his term was consubstantiation. 
He said the body of Christ, Jesus is present with, in, and under the elements. With, in, and under. <laughs> now what that means, I still don't know. He I said what he said. I still don't understand. But Calvin said no. And Calvin's interpretation is so much simpler. He says Christ, okay, let me just say this. The reason Jesus can't be physically in the, in the supper is because in Jesus' human nature, he does not have um, the divine attribute of being everywhere all at the same time. That is his godlike nature and attribute. That is, his, he can do that in spirit. Where is Jesus' physical body right now? Alex? Next to God. Next to God. It's in heaven right now. He, his physical body, by the nature of physical reality, cannot be in a million different churches all at the same time. Yep. Can't. So Calvin said, no, 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 it's not, he doesn't change to the physical body. It's not in, with, or under. No, no, no. He is spiritually present. Yeah. In his God-like nature, because he's dual nature, right? Fully man, fully God. And his God, his Godness here, he is spiritually present in the Lord's Supper everywhere it's being faithfully administered. Mm-hmm. Okay? <clears throat> so here they say, he's there truly, yet sacramentally only. They are sometimes called by the names of the things they represent. We just said that. To wit, the body and the blood of Christ, albeit in substance and nature, they still remain truly and only bread and wine as they were before. So, their physicality remains the same. But Christ has, by nature of his promise and covenant, he has placed himself spiritually in these elements. So why is it that like so many people like continue to try to like mix words up and you know different beliefs within like scripture with the Lord's Supper? Like you were saying, putting the the juice or the the bread um, and actually start worshiping it like why are, why are people actually doing that? Well, part of it is just purely because it does say they do want to take this, you know, they want to be true to the scriptures and the scriptures mm-hmm. that he does. They say, this is my body, this is my blood, you know, so there is this one sense of wanting to run in that kind of, I want to be true to what God's word has to say. So I think part of it is that not taking careful, as we were describing a hermeneutic or an interpretation of that to understand that he you know, to, to bring all scripture together and to bear upon this, he, he couldn't truly be present. Uh, you know, that couldn't the element couldn't change. And I think the other thing is is what is what uh, I think Calvin was the one said that we are we are our hearts, our idols, our our, our factories, uh, idol factories. Yeah. yeah. And we just we just struggle not to start moving to back towards worshiping not the Creator but the creation itself. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I think I'll, I agree with all of that. <clears throat> Um, yeah, I think I agree with all that. So, and this is, sometimes this, this is, you get off in the weeds here. You know, you've got to understand all of scripture. You've got to understand a little bit of philosophy. I hate, I hate to use a big word here, but ontology, uh, the nature of being, metaphysics. There's some complicated issues going on here where, um, church fathers disagreed. You know, and or you know, um, theologians disagreed, and this is one of the reasons why we have so so many denominations. You know, like wow. over over this issue, you can really see how 
how powerful this particular sacrament was in that day that we have eight articles describing trying to be very you know it was a it really was a pretty powerful practice that could control in one sense you can almost see the political <laughs> power that it had because it would control people that if you withheld this so if a Roman Catholic priest withheld this from you you were in big trouble oh and, yeah you know so oh that brings up something uh -oh. Mine right now. <laughs> uh oh so you are in big trouble in the Catholic Church if you do that um, because you're withholding the body of Christ from them right you're right. saying you are outside of Christ yeah. and the arch Bishop of San Francisco just denied Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, Democratic representative. He said, you are out of line with Catholic teaching. You are spreading falsehoods and lies, and you, you are barred from the Lord's Supper. And it, he, it's a, officially in every church in San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi cannot take the Lord's Supper. Whoa. Because she used to say that she was pro, she was against abortion personally, but pro-choice. But this last bill that she pushed forward was 100% pro-abortion pro for any reason, at any point in time, and it is strictly and straightforwardly against Catholic teaching. And this archbishop was courageous and put her on blast. And it's it's been getting some... Um, hmm. some some hits in, in the news cycle wow. right now. Wow. And so he's saying, you're almost excommunicated here. Like you are barred from the table. You, in that, in that worldview, the Catholic worldview, you can't have Christ. You know, you, you're, you're, uh, your soul is in danger. And he said that. We, we're praying for your soul. I'm concerned for your soul, Nancy Pelosi. Wow. So what does it look like for someone like that to repent and then come back to the table? Yeah. Well, you would have to repudiate your false doctrine. That's because mm. you can't be, you can't say you're Catholic and then reject the, the, what the Catholic Church teaches, you know, sanctity of life and life begins at conception. You don't get to say, so here's the deal. She says, oh, I'm Catholic, and she gets Catholic votes because she sounds Catholic, and she's even got five kids, and, and she says, oh, yeah, I'm Catholic. But then when you say, oh, but I'm voting abortion, well, then you're not Catholic mm. because they're, like, all the doctrine of on this is, is very clear, you know? The, so, no, you're not. Yeah, it comes down to that that issue of private and public life. Can you separate private and public life? Well, you really can't. You, no. you know, what you believe, what you believe privately should be what you also, you know, are expressing publicly or what you express publicly is going to have bearing on what you are pri privately. So yeah. Yeah. on this topic as well, not that topic, <laughs> but the, 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 the physicality and the transubstanti transubstantiation, you know, the priest back in that day, I don't know if, I don't think they still practice this anymore, but the priest, if there was leftover, bread and wine, the priest had to either eat it or bury it yeah. because they believed it was the actual physical body of Christ. They couldn't just throw it in the trash can because that obviously it's got implications, right? You're just throwing the real body of Jesus in the trash can, mm -hmm. right? So one of the other reasons the reformers went so hard against this is because they wanted to draw a line between faith and superstition. And they just said the Catholic Church is playing off of uneducated people's fears and their ignorance. And so they're, they're turning this sacrament into a superstitious thing that they do to get God's blessing. You know, like, oh, I need the sacrament. I need the... So like if a child was going to die, they would force feed that baby with the sacrament. Or if a, a parent was going to die at their, on their um, mm. deathbed, they would force feed the, 
the, the, the person, the sacrament. Or at, in Constantine's example, he didn't want to take, he didn't want to, what was it, baptize? He didn't want to get baptized until his deathbed because he didn't want to sin. He wanted to get baptized and then die. So he didn't have a chance to sin because he thought baptism saves you, you know? It's a superstitious way of understanding yeah. your faith, yeah. right? That they, they wanted to come against. All right, Article 6. All right, Article 6, here we go. That doctrine which maintains a change of the substance of bread and wine into the substance of Christ's body and blood, commonly called transubstantiation, by consecration of a priest or by any other way, is repugnant. Repugnant. Not to to scripture alone, but even to common sense and reason. Overthroweth the nature of the sacrament and hath been and is the cause of manifold superstitions Yea, of gross idolatries. There you go. There it is. Yeah. You know, that's that's what they're saying. It's repugnant. To common sense, I love it, because they're, yeah. they're like, God gave us reason. We're meant to use reason. This isn't su- superstitious. And it's not, we can't, we can't idolize this bread and wine, right? Yeah. All right. Seven? Yep. Worthy receivers outwardly partaking of the visible elements in the sacrament do then also inwardly, by faith, Really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporately, but corporally, sorry, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ being then not corporally or carnally in, with, or under the bread and wine, yet as really but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses." Okay, so that's long. Whoa! But you you see what they're you see what they're doing there. He's saying we're not transubstantiation. Oh, we're having a hard time. Yeah. We're not transubstantiationist. We're not consubstantiationist. We believe that he is spiritually. Can present. we break those words down? So let's get into it. Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in the sacrament, do then also inwardly by faith. So here it is. How do we partake of the body and, Christ, body and blood of Christ? Inwardly by faith. Really and really, that's a big important word. Really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified. Okay, so real is a philosophical term there. It's, it's, it means something I'm a, something is really happening here, okay? Yes, you are really feeding upon Christ. You are really partaking Christ metaphysically, spiritually, not carnally or corporally. Carnally means in the flesh, corporally in the body, yeah. okay? So you're spiritually feasting on Christ. And you're also, you also, all the benefits of his death, hmm. Your justification, your sanctification, mm-hmm. the, the gift of the Spirit, yeah. the perseverance of the saints. You're feasting upon all those benefits. You're getting all those benefits from it. The body and blood of Christ being then, not corporally or carnally, so not in the body, not in the flesh, not in, with, or under, that's Luther, the bread and wine, yet as really, again, really, <laughs> So now he's really, 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 really. Okay. So when he says, when he's saying really, he's going against the spiritualists. Yeah. Oh no, it's just a memory. Oh no, it's just a sign. Oh no, it's just a commemoration. There's nothing really going on here. Many 
Baptists, many independents, many non-denominationals, many uh, charismatics still believe that in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, nothing's really going on here. Just a boring, lame sign. Okay? They were saying, no, really, 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 spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are their outward senses. So just as you really taste, just as you really chew, just as you really swallow, you are really spiritually taking in the body and the blood of Christ and all the benefits that his death and resurrection have given you. Mm -hmm. So something spiritually is happening here. Right. Really, really. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. Here's the passage for that. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Participation. Not just a sign, not just an outward, you know, you know, pointing back commemoration. It's actually a participation. We're really partaking of him spiritually. Okay. It's, it's hard to put those two words together. And, and I, think, I thank God that they did because when we hear real, oh yeah, that's real. We're, we think physical, corporal, carnal. Mm -hmm. But no, no, he's saying real spiritually. Yeah. Right? Real spiritually. Hmm. All right, last one. Last one, here we go, eight. Although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in this sacrament, yet they receive not the things signified thereby, but by their unworthy coming thereunto are guilty of the body and blood of the Lord to their own damnation. Wherefore, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so they are unworthy of the Lord's table, and cannot, without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries, or be admitted thereunto. Okay. Mm. So, remember, all sacraments... Um, they come with, because they're a sign of a covenant, and the covenant comes with blessings and curses. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. So, although ignorant and wicked men receive the outward elements in the sacrament. Now, what we're saying here is no one knows what's going on inside a person's heart. And so, we say at Sacred City, all baptized, repentant believers can come to the table, right? Yep. The table's open. And what we're wanting to do there is we're wanting to bar wicked and ignorant men from coming to the table. But some, because they are ignorant, they might be ignorant to their own wickedness and they might come to the Lord's table. Either they're not believers or they are, they have unrepentant sin in their life. And so they're coming ignorantly. They're coming in a way that is not appropriate. Is there a reason why they didn't pit men and women? No. Now they meant they mean both. Okay. Yeah, they mean both. <clears throat> okay. Yet they receive not the thing signified by thereby, but by their unworthy coming thereunto are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord, to their own damnation. Wherefore, all ignorant and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table and cannot, without great sin against Christ, while they remain such, partake of these holy mysteries. What text do we have for that one? 1 Corinthians 11? Yes, uh, 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord 
in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment of himself. Judgment on himself. So, I would phrase this just a little different. Um, so, So they say, yet they receive not the thing signified thereby. For, in my understanding, they receive not the blessings signified thereby, but they do receive the curses signified thereby. Because it says right here, all ignorant uh, and ungodly persons, as they are unfit to enjoy communion with him, so are they unworthy of the Lord's table and cannot without great sin against Christ. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed it. I re- but by their unworthy coming thereunto are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So that's the curse. If you're not in Christ, you're outside of Christ, and you're under judgment. You're under damnation. You're going to be torn asunder um, at, at the at the Lord's throne, right? Like because yeah. Christ, if Christ wasn't torn asunder for you, then you're going to be yeah. torn asunder. It's going to be your body and your blood that was shed. Okay. Um. And then the last scripture, or be admitted thereunto. Yeah, the scripture there is uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, which says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? So cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And then down to verse 13, he says, mm. God judges those outside, so purge the evil person from among you. There you go. Okay, so... Just as something real happens in the supper when you are in Christ and you are repentant, something real happens when you are outside of Christ Mm. and you take the Lord's Supper. Mm. Some kind of judgment. Some that scripture says some have even died for from taking the the cup in an unworthy manner. Right? And so that's the curse of the covenant. So elders should not just pass the cup and let anybody who wants to take it. They should at least bar the table, guard the table, fence the table in some way to say only baptized, repentant believers should come to this table. We should not be taking it in an unworthy manner. And so this is what that archbishop is doing. The archbishop is saying, I don't think you're a Christian. I think you're using your Catholic faith for political means, but you're actually not, you don't believe what the Bible teaches. So I'm not going to let you continue to eat damnation unto your soul. And I'm praying that you would repent. Now, Dick Durbin, the democratic Senator from Illinois, he's been under this. He, he's been, it's not excommunication, but barred from the table in the Catholic church for like 10 years. Hmm. Wow. And so it's an archbishops who are actually taking their job serious and, and taking the word of God serious and saying, no, you can't come to the Lord's table. And so for us at our church, if we know a man or a woman is in active rebellion against the Lord and high-handed said and they refuse to repent, if they come to the Lord's table, we have to refuse them. And we'll tell them, you're not fit to come to the Lord's table. So what if you don't know? Um, is that just on them? That's on them. And they're, they're, eating, they're eating damnation. To, they're eating judgment. Yep. Like, they're, they're, they're eating curse. Because you gave the warning, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And that's why it says ignorant. Some, some people just do it ignorantly, right? Now, when we talk about ignorance, it's ignorant and wicked men. It's not um, 
just a lack of knowledge. It is a willful lack of knowledge, a willful denying of the truth, okay? So in one sense, you know your five-year-old is, if your five-year-old professes faith in Christ and wants to take the Lord's Supper, well, you know they're ignorant too, right? But that's not the ignorant they're talking about here. That's a young person who's immature, who's lacking knowledge. That's not a person who's willfully obstinate against the word of God and chooses. It's like the guy who like, I don't want to read the Bible because if I read the Bible, then I'll know what it says and then I'll know when I, what, what God's requiring of me. Mm. I just kind of want to know that Jesus died for my sins. Mm. You know, I don't put that standard on me. It's that type of ignorance. What about the, the type of ignorance or when a, a wife or a husband has confronted the other and they're not willing to repent and walk that out? Uh, what about those people coming to the table? <sighs> I think they should take it seriously. I think it should not be a flippant thing. I think it should not be a dismissed thing. I think it's important to prayerfully walk that out and, uh, and, to, and, and to take it serious. So if you're in the middle of some big trouble, big blow up where you're being called out on sin and, and you're not um, repenting, you, sh- you, you might you know, want to check, check your heart there yeah. and confess your sin before you go, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Yeah, we think of that uh, passage that Jesus had with, with regards to if you know you have a sin against your brother and you're coming to the altar for your sacrifice, of course, you know, this is when Christ was here on earth before the cross. He said, take that gift and put it aside and go to that brother and be reconciled before you, you know, go. Because if you knowledge, if there is a knowledge of sin that you really know that you need to deal with something, it's probably, it's wise not to go up and worship in this way until yeah. you've really dealt with that and maybe brought some restitution or reconciliation to that situation. So, yeah, yeah, we should take it seriously. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I've been uh, just blessed by this time of talking about the sacraments the past few weeks. Yeah. You know, we've dive, uh, dove into them quite a bit and reminded of some things that I kind of forget about, and um, I'm renewed and encouraged to, to take the sacraments, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think it, when we talk about it, when we think about it, when we go deeper into them, it just reveals how meaningful and mysterious and, um, you know, how special they are. Yeah, really. What a blessing. You know, I can think about what the blessing is just to be able to enjoy the sacraments as something that God has given to us to really grow us and to, it's, a, it's another means of, of grace to grow us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's pretty neat. Yeah. And it requires almost nothing from us. Yeah. Yeah. We just show up, we confess our sins, and we open our hands and eat. Yeah. You know? There's no straining, there's no striving, uh, there's no memorization here, there's no like hard work, deep heart work. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah. And, it, and it's supposed to, you know, nourish us and, and mature us up into the body of Christ, which is amazing. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this might be my last podcast before my sabbatical. We've got two more articles left and we pre-recorded another one. So I think the guys will finish up two articles. Uh, But uh, I'll be praying for you guys on my sabbatical. Please be praying for me. And when we start back in the fall, we've got some new fresh content for the podcast that we're excited about. We'll take some things in some different directions as well. Um, So just know that we love you. We're praying for you and God bless.